This episode of Walter Edgar's Journal is an encore of a previously broadcast program. Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the SCANA studio today is John Slaughter with the National Park Service. He is the group superintendent of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution Parks, which is something new and exciting. Studying the American Revolution is my hobby horse, so I'm going to be riding it for the next hour. John, welcome to the Journal. Doctor, I'm just so excited to be here with you today. It's it's a great opportunity to sit here and speak with you about some of the incredible opportunities for us to share these stories of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution with America in a way that just have not been done ever. It sort of got a kickstart last year when the Park Service celebrated its centennial. That actually boosted attendance at all of our sites in South Carolina. It did, and the centennial of the National Park Service was a very excellent platform for us to start to share with America this this incredible story in a way that we've not we've just not done in, in recent years. John, there are lots of revolutionary battle sites in the American South, but the four that are part of your grouping are in South Carolina, one over the mountains. So you've got Cowpens, Kings Mountain, 96, which may surprise some folks who don't really know Revolutionary War history. And then you have the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail, and I think that's Abington, Virginia. It is. It's it's from Abingdon, Virginia, and Elkin, North Carolina, and they kind of come together and meet in Morganton, and then come down through Cowpens and over to Kings Mountain, where the Over the Mountain men fought uh, Patrick Ferguson at the Battle of Kings Mountain. I, I know that since your time in South Carolina, you have really been pushing the American Revolution. What kind of made the Park Service decide to, to create this southern campaign of the American Revolution parks? I don't know of any place, you know, I like to visit national parks, but I don't know of other similar groupings. No, this is really unique to the National Park Service. Groupings and consolidation efforts, they take place across the Park Service and various government agencies all the time for various reasons, usually economic, sometimes geographical. Uh, This is the first in the Park Service that's thematically related, which is very, very exciting. And, And we had pushed for that. Um, early on as we started talking about how we can share resources and how do we bring the stories together, these stories that are so often told in their own um, out of context, in their own myopic approach that doesn't allow America to grasp the totality of the Southern Campaign in the American Revolution. So this was a very cool opportunity to be able to do that. And what role did you play in that? Well, I just so happened, I was the superintendent at the time of Cowpens in 96, and the superintendent at Kings Mountain, Erin Broadbent, she uh, retired, and so we had some discussions at the regional office about this might be a really good opportunity to look at uh, doing something unique in the Park Service, not just unique operationally as far as the thematic opportunities, but also unique in the way that we could consolidate management teams and functions and the interpretive elements to be able to pull it all together. They obviously bought it, and now we have something that's very special here. It's I say South Carolina, we you know, over mountain folks, I understand, but the trail does end at Kings Mountain. It does. It does. We've been promoting for the last three years. It'll be three years in August that we did this consolidation. That each of these stories needs to tell the entirety of the American Revolution, but specifically the war in South Carolina. 
And we say quite often more battles and more skirmishes were fought in South Carolina than any other colony during the entire American Revolutionary War. Now, as you know, New Jersey will probably argue with us about that. Well, we are continuing to discover, particularly the skirmish. You know, I think, John, one of my stories in talking about the casualties in the revolution is we never really will know how many men died in the revolution because if they weren't actually in uniform, with, let's just say with uh, Sumter or Pickens or Marion, you know, going to and from, there might be a skirmish, a skirmish they disappeared. And we never know, because unless they were on the rolls, they're not a casualty. And still, the huge percentage of the casualties in the revolution, as, as you know, took place in South Carolina in 1780 and 1781. Absolutely. Those those two years, and more happened in the American Revolution in those two years than history gives us credit for. And specifically, as you, as you mentioned, the casualties and the sacrifices that were made uh, during that time, I think uh, I, in your book, you mentioned that it was 18, 18 to 20 percent, I believe, of the total casualties during the entire American Revolutionary War happened right here in South Carolina. Yeah. And it actually may be a little bit higher than that. I'm, I'm going to claim a senior moment. I can't. But it, it wasn't just the killed, also the percentage of wounded. Uh, and, and usually in the revolution, you, it's about three wounded for every killed in action. I mean, that's the way the army has always done it. And those figures, John, came from the official U.S. Army statistics. Those weren't anything that I ginned up to promote the revolution in South Carolina. That's what the U.S. Army came up with. And we're finding that as well. We're finding, you know, one of the most exciting things about this consolidation is we're finding so many of these stories and so many of the characters and and personalities are so intertwined in so many of these different uh, skirmishes and battles. And that's part of the excitement is the discovery of kind of unfolding this this new old history and the numbers that are coming out of it and the, the stories that are coming out of it and, and really the human interest side of it is what's is so exciting. And since you've got 96 and you've got Spartan District, Cowpens, although Cowpens is actually in... Cherokee County now. It, it is. It is in Cherokee Right over the line. But old Spartan District and certainly Kings Mountain. One of my favorite revolutionary stories involves 96 and Spartan District, and that is Jane Black Thomas. Her husband was the commander of the Spartan Regiment. He got captured, imprisoned at 96 at Starfort. He got sick. And of course, during the revolution, if somebody got sick, the British weren't going to take care of their POWs. They sent out the word. So Mrs. Thomas goes down to nurse her husband. And one day washing clothes with there's some English officers' wives talking about their husbands are going on a raid the next day or two up in Spartan District. They're going to capture the Spartan Regiment, which is now commanded by Mrs. Thomas's son. Well, this woman who is over 60 and is our mind to students. Over 60 in 1780 was pretty old. She steals a horse, rides 50 miles through occupied territory to warn the Spartan regiment, which then ambushes the British at the First Battle of Cedar Springs. Now, that is a great Revolutionary War story. She, as an older woman, rode 50 miles bareback through enemy territory to warn the Spartan 
regiment that the British were coming, unlike Paul Revere, who never finished his ride riding down a paved turnpike to say the British are coming. So anyway, that's how that's another link you've got from Greenwood to Spartanburg. Ninety six. Uh, and the 96th district of the time down there in Greenwood County, which now is Greenwood County, um, really so much of our history comes out of that, especially the frontier history as well as the Revolutionary War history. And, and it's just a, we keep uncovering so many different facets to that history from 96, everything from the siege that most people know about to James Birmingham, the first patriot, South Carolinian patriot to give his life for the cause, was was killed at 96 in 1775. The first land battle south of New England happened right there at 96. Clearly, you now focus a lot on 1780, 1781, when the whole revolution turned around and Cornwallis got his army whipped and went up to surrender in Yorktown. But yes... The fort at 96 was the focal point of the first battles in, as you said, in the south, uh, or actually south of New England. So take that New Jersey and Pennsylvania <laughs> and New York. And of course, the famous snow campaign, which is all tied into that that particular situation. So people seem to think the revolution didn't start until July the 4th, 1776. But we've got men being killed in South Carolina in 1775. We've got South Carolina adopting a constitution in early 1776 before the Declaration of Independence. And then down on the coast, we've got the Battle of Sullivan's Island in June of 1776. All of this has taken place prior to what happened in Philadelphia. Again, some of the excitement around all of this, especially with this consolidated effort and now kind of a, a clearinghouse for historians and others to come uh, to the National Park Service and talk about these unique battles and these, these stories that have influenced our independence. We're getting incredible stories from all over the region that we're trying to figure out how do we explore that now. So we've got places like uh, or stories of the the Rutherford Expedition up in in, in Western Carolina in 1775. I mean that that was that was a key uh, expedition to kind of keep the the Cherokee out of the fight on the British side story that's untold in American history, and yet it probably led to some of the later episodes associated with uh, displacement of the Cherokees as well. When the Cherokee did attack the frontier, you had for the first time a southern intercolonial reaction to it from Georgia to Virginia. The militia from the four colonies took on the Cherokee and defeated them. And of course, those same four colonies, plus the over-the-mountain men, would come together at King's Mountain. They did. Quite often, they fought together. As we're finding out, many of the same names start to pop up, whether that's Lacey or Hambright or Dickey or, or some of the other names from from the Spartan District and some of the other, other areas that... Uh, Keep coming to coming into into various stories, whether those are the stories of Kings Mountain, or the stories of uh, the Cane Creek battle, or even perhaps Ramser's Mill. Mm -hmm. John, we've been jumping around a little bit, but I think if we would do things in chronological sure. order, Starfort, 
96, you've got Revolutionary War events occurring from 1775 until the war ends. Uh, and then you come to 1780 at Kings Mountain, 1781 Cowpens. Uh, just to put it in, sure. in, in order for folks who are not those of us who are into are not into Thickety Fort and Cedar Springs and <laughs> Hanging Rock and what have you, those those are the major battles that we're 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 dealing with. But as you pointed, there are dozens and dozens of these smaller battles and skirmishes, and every one of them made a difference. I will tell you, I I have gotten myself in more hot water with historians over the over the years um, by doing just that kind of. Um, jumping from this point to that point because so many of these, well, all of these stories are so interconnected. We like to talk about them often as the turning point. This was the turning point or that was the turning point. And yet each one of them is a domino in the ultimate effect in that surrender at Yorktown. Whether we're talking about the first Patriot battle at at, at 96 and 1775 and then moving you know up to this this incredible victory at Ramsers Mill and what's now uh, uh, Lincoln County North Carolina that really um, kind of killed the spirit of the Tory militia and then just a few months later at Kings Mountain where the Tory militia was soundly defeated and Patrick Ferguson was killed a, thou- a thousand killed or captured. An incredible victory completely severs the right arm or the left arm, I should say, of Cornwallis's army. And then just a short four months later, the Battle of Cowpens, where the entire right arm of Cornwallis's army was severed in the loss, at, the devastating loss of, of this special elite unit of Cornwallis's fighting force at Cowpens. We need to remind our, our listeners that that's when Tarleton ran from the battlefield. Cowpens was the only set battle during the American Revolution where British regulars, we're talking about regulars, not militia, ran from an American army. It was an incredible victory. Bannister Tarleton, the 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 butcher or bloody ban as he was known for for the um, uh, escapades that he pulled at at Waxhaws and so many other places throughout the South, um, really did pick up and and run. He was soundly defeated at Cowpens, and and what's so incredible about that battle is that even today Fort Jackson and their leadership comes out and studies that battle and they walk that battle. We have we have West Point comes out. We have all these military institutions that will come out and do staff walks out on the field to discuss the significance of that battle, not only then, but how the leadership qualities of Daniel Morgan at that time apply to today's leaders. Having been guest professor at West Point to lecture on the revolution in the South and at Fort Leavenworth. Yes, the Army still studies Cowpens as one of the great classic battles in military history, period. Not just American history, but in but in in history. Whether it's, you know, here you've got Kings Mountain and you've got Cowpens, as you say, which one is the turning point? They both were crucial and 
they pretty much did in any hopes Cornwallis had of fulfilling his great Southern strategy of rolling up the colonies one by one and getting to Virginia and saying, okay, you can have the rest of the country, but we'll, the Brits will keep, keep the South. The significance of Cowpens and Kings Mountain cannot be denied. Mm-hmm. Those, those two are, are, are two that for generations our historians have been telling us were the key elements of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution. Yet one of the very exciting opportunities that we have with this new group is to partner with the state parks, recreation, and tourism um, department with various historical societies throughout the state and even private entities to share those smaller battles and those smaller skirmishes and the significance of those and how each one of those ultimately played a part in what was able to happen at Kings Mountain and then Cowpens and then Guilford Courthouse and in what is now Guilford County, North Carolina, and then ultimately Yorktown. The Civil War Battlefield Trust, as you know, has decided to work on Revolutionary War battlefields, and they're using South Carolina as their first objective, their first state, uh, where this is going to occur, and they're going to help the trust over the years, folks, has purchased Civil War Battlefield to keep the battlefields intact. And what they have come into South Carolina, they're identifying the battlefields, and they have already begun to purchase either easements or property, and most of this has been in the low country. Uh, but they're looking at the entire state, and they're using South Carolina as actually a fundraiser for a national push to preserve Revolutionary War battlefields. And that ought to make you feel pretty good, too. That is so exciting. Uh, Civil War Trust, obviously, um, the organization that preserves more battlefield lands than any other organization in the United States of America, has always been a great partner of the National Park Service. And with the advent of Campaign 1776, this new arm of the Civil War Trust that specifically is developed to preserve Revolutionary War battlefield sites, it was a very exciting conversation to have an, a, a few years ago when we were discussing these possibilities and looking specifically at South Carolina as the opportunity to do that. Obviously, there's places like Princeton and battlefields you know, in the north that, that they can try to preserve, yet the conversations we had with them and many of the other partners in South Carolina was specifically, you can come to South Carolina and find battlefields in just about every county. Mm-hmm. And your value for preserving those is going to be extensive. The return on investment is not like anywhere else you're going to find in the North. And so we've we've developed an incredible relationship with Campaign 1776 and Jim Lighthizer, mm-hmm. who I know you, you you know, and I think you've even had him on your show before. Yeah, we and we're very excited about that, and especially with the work that uh, Doug Bostick and and the group at the South Carolina Battleground Preservation Trust is doing. You know, they're really kind of the key entity. So we've got this great relationship right now that's building where we're all coming together and looking at this thing from the campaign level rather than the individual site level. And that's what's really exciting. And what's coming down the pipe in the next few years in South Carolina to preserve sites and to share these sites with Americans is going to be pretty extensive. Well, you know, 
I think the stories that keep coming out, and there, there are others that besides Jane Black Thomas, she just has to be one of my uh, special heroines because of what she did and compare it. You know, she didn't have a Longfellow to write a poem about her. Uh, should have. Uh, but, but folks forget that in the early years after the revolution, there was acknowledgement of what happened in South Carolina. And for example, Utah Springs, Marion's men, the New Englanders were writing poetry about South Carolina and the American Revolution. Later history changed a lot of that, but that's still the case that now these are being rediscovered. And there are long memories. Now, I know at Kings Mountain, you have the cairn for Patrick Ferguson. Um, yes, we do. The stone cairn. Uh, he was a Scot, so he has a cairn over his grave. And it, you have lots of signs that do not put any stones at Patrick Ferguson's or throw any stones at Patrick Ferguson's uh, cairn. Well, about 15 years ago, I led a group of USC alumni, and we went up there. And we were talking about they were going to walk up the top of the mountain, which they did. And there were two older ladies who were from York County. And they said, we've been going there to King's Mountain since since we were little girls. And so everybody started listening. Well, their grandparents had taken them to King's Mountain. And every summer on the end, they would go back and they would throw a rock at Patrick Ferguson's Cairn. Now, I know you're not supposed to do that, but I will tell you, a whole busload of USC alumni picked up a rock somewhere, and they went by Patrick Ferguson's cairn, and they threw a rock at it. Oh, I can I can tell you more than once when I've been on the trail, and there's been a youngster standing there asking why there's such a large stack of rocks on the gravesite, that I've bent over myself and handed him a rock, <laughs> and told him, "Do your do your due diligence and your duty as an American, and let's keep them there." But you know, I think it's interesting that, like I say, 15 years ago, these women were in their 70s, but as young children, so this had continued for almost two centuries that. Their family tradition had gone back. They were those good Scots-Irish upcountry folk, and their grandparents wanted them to know that this is where our boys did their thing, and there's the bad guy. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm just glad that we're not um, continuing the original tradition of the Overmountain men and what they did at that, at that particular place, uh, because that would be unfortunate for us to have to deal with as a national park unit. Patrick Ferguson, of course, the commander of the thousand-man army at King's Mountain. He had his two girlfriends along, too. But he was killed. Uh, he actually mounted a white horse and was trying to rally his men by riding towards the American lines downhill. He was His body was riddled. It was then stripped. And the, the frontiersmen, not just the over-mountain men, but the frontiersmen, in terms of expressing contempt, extreme contempt, was to urinate on the corpse. Okay, I used a in partisans and redcoats. I used a description by someone who was there. They used a very good 18th century term. Well, my editor at William Morrow said you can't. Use that. You've got to say urinate. And I, I won the battle because I said, look, 
it's a direct quote, and it's a very was a very normal 18th century term. It's just gotten kind of um, unpopular today to say in public, but that's what they did. Uh, and over the mountain men, Tennessee men used it later on in the 19th century about South Carolina in Andrew Jackson's fight with John C. Calhoun and the whole question of nullification. They, uh, they said they were going to get a whole regiment of men to get on the top of the mountains and do that and float all of the nullifiers into the sea. <laughs> so they're too, con- you know, history continues. <laughs> It does, and that's that's one of the um, one of the interesting points of what we're doing today is that we're trying to put people back in the frame of mind. It, we we try to tell history now from today's perspective and today's mindset, and so much of what happened back then you just can't understand, and you can't bring it to to uh, reconciliation in your own mind, thinking of it in today's terms, and just that word. Um, and and that practice at that time just seems so abhorrent right now, and yet at that at that time it wasn't similar to some of the what we would call atrocities of of the battles that happened back then and the brutality of it back then um, can't be spoken of today and and would be deemed war crimes even in some places and yet and yet we have this incredible brutal story of the war in the backcountry and the war in the Carolinas at that time that's so overlooked and sometimes whitewashed, and yet that Civil War aspect of it and that brother against brother and the brutality of, of fighting back then is is something that we are now able to start unfolding and unraveling for folks, obviously for appropriate audiences, but even for the younger audiences to give them a true picture of, of what that really looked like, what the, what the cost of freedom really was for this nation. That's so important for us to do. Well, if you were to go to the website for the World Court at The Hague today, you would find examples of almost everything that Cornwallis and his troops did in South Carolina. He and Tarleton would have ended up before the war crimes tribunal at The Hague. And that's one way you can get contemporary kids of any age We can describe what happened at Kings Mountain or describe what happened at Brattonsville, which is, again, right down the road, another great historic local revolutionary, York County historic site, Um, and say, gosh, this happened. But look how the world defines that today. So this gives you an idea, as you say, of how brutal and nasty and bloody the the war was in South Carolina, and particularly in the backcountry. It was on both sides, yes. The combat, the, the destruction of churches and private property was more what the British did. And since Tarleton is the bad guy here, the brutality he displayed and his men displayed at the Battle of the Waxhaws, where they slaughtered and seriously wounded almost 200 Americans who were trying to surrender, began a cycle of violence in the backcountry that continued and escalated from on both sides. I mean, Thomas Sumter didn't take prisoners. He really did set the tone ultimately, uh, I believe, for the ultimate failure of the British Army. And in, in South Carolina and in the South was was using some of those tactics and not realizing how 
the men and families of the backcountry would respond to those tactics, uh, forgetting uh, so often that many of these men had fought in the Indian Wars and had uh, had experienced, developed their own levels of fighting. Of of I I, I believe one um, writer quoted downright fighting, mm. as they would call it, and so it's very um, yeah. I think it was. Uh, uh, incredible opportunity for the men and families of the backcountry to step up and say, you want to see what we're about? This is what we're about. I talk about it in terms, when I give talks at, at different battlefields or at different events, whether it's with the Sons of the American Revolution or whether it's with the YMCA, I talk about the spirit of the backcountry. And I talk about this patriot spirit that was really solidified in places like Ramsier's Mill, mm -hmm. where um, the turn started to happen and, and, and the people's spirit started to build up because they saw that they could win mm -hmm. and that they could repulse the British. And then at King's Mountain, when this patriot spirit was being born all up and down the Overmountain, what we call now the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail, as that spirit and it was, was welling up. And then, and then the multiple assaults at King's Mountain that it took, that takes spirit not to be driven back and to defeat this incredible army there. And then ultimately, Daniel Morgan even mentions that spirit when he's camped on the Packlet and he writes back to Nathaniel Green and he says that... We cannot retreat because I'm afraid that this momentum of the spirit will be demolished. Nathaniel Green did something that in the study of the Battle of Cowpens, the military folks say you should never do. He divided his army in half, and his army was smaller than Cornwallis's to begin with. But he sent Daniel Morgan up into the Spartan district and... He had hoped that Cornwallis would divide his army, which he did. And then we had uh, the great victory at, at the Battle of, of the Cowpens. And now we must let our listeners know that this is Walter Edgar's journal, and I'm talking with John Slaughter, who is the group superintendent for the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution Parks in South Carolina. John, back to what we were talking briefly before we got into cowpens, and that is the brutality. I just got back from visiting my grandchildren, and they live in the suburbs of Boston. And in their school district, in the third grade, they just finished studying the revolution for a month, and in the fifth grade, for two months. And I mean, really studying it. But my grandson said, well, we didn't talk about anything about the revolution in the South. And in explaining it to fifth graders, I used the example of what you were talking about, brutality. I said, okay, the British Army comes in. They've captured Charleston, the richest city in the empire. Of course, South Carolina was the richest colony in North America, too. But I said, now, what do you want to do, boys and girls, if you want to make sure that everything goes smoothly from here on out? And they said, well, you want to treat people nice. I said, what happens if you try to be mean and you shoot people and you burn houses, how are you going to react? And one child said, well, we might give up. But another one said, oh, no, we'd get really angry and we'd fight like almighty get out. So just talking to those fifth graders, they, I said, and that's how the revolution 
evolved in South Carolina from the Battle of the Waxhaws and that incredible brutality spread by the rural grapevine. The story got gorier as it passed from listener to listener. And any event that happened, whether it was what, how Martha Bratton was threatened on the front porch at Brattonsville, I mean, these stories just spread like wildfire. And really, the English and the Army of Occupation had messed with the wrong folks. They first of all treated those Scots-Irish like dirt. I mean, they were Ulster. Ulster, oh gosh, ultra Scots. Uh, but Cornwallis and his lieutenants were talking about using every means necessary to keep the local population in line. And Tarleton actually wrote a letter saying we need to use the example of Rome and Carthage, and that is kill everybody and put salt in the fields, and then we'll have the, the place pacified. Yeah, I like to say how'd that work out for him? <laughs> Well, what it did do was it was it firmly established. So, so the thought of that patriot spirit is building in the background, but the it was really the actions of the British that solidified. That's that's what refined that patriot spirit. And I love that you're talking to these fifth graders and third graders about it because really that's it's not taught in our history books, and it's a shame that we don't that we don't teach the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution. I like to say where the revolution was won right here in our backyards. Well, if you go to any traditional textbook, whether it's used in elementary, high school, or whether it's certainly college texts, you know, you've got Lexington and Concord. They usually throw in Bunker Hill. Then they go to Saratoga and zip to Yorktown, the war's over. And my question is, where did, how did Cornwallis get to Yorktown? Some of the textbooks get Kings Mountain wrong. One or two of them even placed it in the wrong state. Right. Or they just dismiss it as, well, that was just one of those militia things. It didn't make any difference, blah, 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 blah. It did make a difference. It did, and I think there's, you know, I think there's a couple of reasons why that why that's happened. Um, obviously, the first being that that the American Revolutionary War was not as well documented as as many of the wars to come after that. So a lot of it is historical archaeology. You know, we just have to keep digging, which is part of the excitement about being um, a part of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution is we're always uncovering this new old material, 236-year-old material. But the other part of it is, as uh, some historians have been willing to, to um, state, is that the victors of later wars really write the history or rewrite the history. And if you look in history books prior to the Second Civil War, what I call the Second Civil War, you you see that uh, the Battle of Cowpens and the Battle of Kings Mountain were prominent battles. And the role that South Carolina played in the ultimate victory in the American Revolution was extensive. And yet after um, the Civil War of the 1860s, uh, those references disappear. And it's unfortunate, um, given that more presidential and congressional medals were were awarded for the battles and for various battles in South Carolina, I think three or four specifically for Cowpens than in any other colony in the United States. Well, it's true. Later history changed the earlier history. And as I mentioned, right after the revolution, Francis Marion was a national hero along with George Washington. I mean, Parson Weems wrote two hagiographies, which means, you know, glorified myth. Uh, But he had Francis Marion and he had George Washington. 
and the New England poets are writing about the Song of Marion's Men, uh, the Battle of, of Utah Springs. So what happened here in South Carolina was important, and it wasn't just the big ones. It was things like Huck's Defeat, or it was Thickety Fort, Cedar Springs. There were about two dozen battles between Huck's Defeat and King's Mountain, and every one of those was a partisan or a patriot victory in the backcountry. It might not have been huge numbers, but every victory drew more men to the patriot cause, and it also made it more and more difficult for Tories to stay where they were to join up with the Tory militia. Uh, and that's a constant complaint that Cornwallis says is that we can't get people to join up anymore. Well, first of all, you're treating people like dirt, and then second of all, you don't seem to really be winning the battle. So it not only meant fewer people going into the Tory militia, but it also cut down on intelligence, what's going on, what's really happening. So getting the story straight and, and getting it right is is so important for us as a nation, I think, to be able to put history in context. We, we see it so often in so many different ways where only one side of the story is told. And without, without being able to tell the entire story, we, we don't have the opportunity to truly learn from it and grow from it and experience who we are as Americans. And so that's what our mission, I think, has is, is really been is to work with all the different organizations and all the different smaller sites and, and those sites that are lesser known to, um, to put together the big story and share that big story and help uncover uh, the history that's not being taught in schools. And we're doing that through a couple of different great ways. One of them is a partnership with ETV and the Know-It-All platform where we've just recently completed eight different segments, little episodes about some of these battles. We, we even covered Brattonsville as one of them. We talked about Musgrove Mill and we did Waxaws and a number of these other, these other battles to put out there to educators across the nation these resources, not only the videos, these five to seven minute videos, but also lesson plans and curriculum that they can instantly implement into their classroom. And we're getting a lot of great feedback about that. But that partnership with ETV and the, and, and the Sons of the American Revolution and the George Washington Endowment and the Self Foundation, all of these partnerships are what it takes to really get this story out there. And we've even, we've even done some work with the new American Revolutionary War Museum in Philadelphia. We went up there and I met with a couple of the board members up there and the new Revolutionary War Museum in Yorktown. And they're all very excited and recognized that even today, this, this state-of-the-art multi-million dollar facility up there in, in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, that they could have done better with the Southern campaign and they want to do better. And that's the key is that folks want to know this story and they're excited about it when they meet these, the reenactors and, and they see the intensity of what happened here and they start to really grasp that, that this is an opportunity, uh, a lost opportunity in so many ways to tell the rest of the story about the American Revolution. Knowitall.org is for kids, right? It is. Well, it's for actually it's for um, educators 
to use with kids, and also kids can access it as well. It's a great platform that educators from across the nation can go to discover different series, whether those are social series or those are historical series or even scientific series to explore different opportunities. In our particular case, what we're really excited about is on knowitall.org, there's a platform for the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution. And we've got this incredible resource available to just here in South Carolina alone, 30,000 classrooms and nearly 700,000 students that have access to this on a daily basis. But I've heard personally from teachers in California and Kansas and the state of Washington that are saying, hey, I'm excited about this. I've been looking at Know-It-All for a couple of years. This is very exciting for us to be able to use this, these resources in our classrooms to build this curriculum. And there's so much that people just still don't even folks who should know don't know. The cover, the painting that's the cover for Partisans and Redcoats, it's the Battle of Hanging Rock. And there are some Cantalba Indians there. And the first thing some people say, well, oh, this, you're trying to be politically correct. Ignoring the fact that several hundred Catawba warriors fought with the Americans with the various partisan units in the backcountry during the revolution. I mean, that wasn't put in there. That's a true story. Well, it's about getting it right. And and for the National Park Service, that's that's really our goal and our mission. Our responsibility is to tell the totality of the story so that no matter where you come from or what your beliefs are, or what your understandings are, that you take away from it, first of all, the facts. And the second of all, what you need to make that connection to your heritage. And so we've, we've got this really incredible opportunity working with all these different partners and specifically a number of the historians um, associated with the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution to get the totality of the story out there. And my greatest challenge really um, has been to help the historians step up to the next level, maybe the 10,000-foot level, to try to say, okay, my story, this, this, this story of this particular site is really important to me, but out of context, it's not important to America. And so for me to be able to share this story with the passion and help develop the passion in others about this particular story, I have to own the bigger story as well, which means I have to own some of these other side stories that are so interrelated. And um, history, we haven't done that well in, in the past. And so we have this very incredible opportunity now to do that with this platform, this National Park Service platform that lends to it a, a credibility on a national stage that this is the story of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution. So when we have you know, these incredible historians throughout the state like Charles Baxley and Michael Scoggins and, and um, folks like John Robertson, he was, a, he was a ranger that worked for us, just recently retired. This guy has a wealth of knowledge and knows every, he's probably looked at every map associated with the American Revolution there ever was, and he's developed his own. And then folks like Ken Anderson, who are exploring stories that have never been told, the story of the South Fork Boys, you know, that came to Kings Mountain and fought. And then, of course, yourself. Well, but take people like Bobby Moss, 
who has compiled list after list and many biographies of participants at Kings Mountain, participants at Cowpens. He has provided so many nuggets uh, and incredible resources. And, and I know you've got his books at the... We do. Bob, Dr. Bobby Moss is, uh, you know, I was truly blessed to get to know Dr. Dr. Moss after I came to the parks. And and uh, shortly after his passing, uh, we developed a an award that we've, we've given twice. Mm-hmm. We call it the um, Dr. Bobby Moss Enduring Patriot Award. Mm-hmm. It's really an award for those that have have dedicated their time and their energy and their resources to further the to- the whole story of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution. So Dr. Bobby Moss and the things that he's done, the changes that he's made, he helped us explore uh, uh, African American patriot stories, and and it was because of his his drive to make that story come to life that we were able this last year at the Battle of Kings Mountain, the celebration of the anniversary last year on October 7th, to dedicate on the mountain the first monument in 70 years, over 70 years, was dedicated. It was a DAR marker dedicated on the monument on the, on the mountain to the three known African-American patriots who fought at the Battle of Kings Mountain. So telling these stories, whether it's the story of the Catawba Indians or it's the story of the African-American patriots who fought or it's the story of, of slaves who helped assist in, in Martha Bratton's case, mm-hmm. you know, those, are, those are the stories that help us tell the totality. And, and that's what's important for us because if we can get that out there, then people start to make connections to the American Revolution and specifically the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution that makes it personal to them. Yeah, and of course, anytime you're you're dealing with the public, you have to deal with what television and Hollywood has done with the story. And of course, that gets back to uh, Mel Gibson and oh, yeah. and the Patriot. Although I will say, there are a couple of things that are right about that movie that can be good teaching points. Absolutely, you know, I, again, you know, dealing with historians, you know, I, I will hear all the time about how that movie was so inaccurate and so wrong. You know, I like to talk, when people ask me about it, I say, well, it's an amalgamation. Mm-hmm. It's an amalgamation of so many different characters and aspects of the Southern campaign. And yes, it's been, it's been uh, made into a Hollywood movie, so uh, there's some liberties there. However, we need something like that now. Something like that that puts this back out there in the general public, even if it is half fiction, generates interest. One of the ironies is some people complained about the gore in that movie. But one of the core interpretations of the revolution in South Carolina is why did people fight? And he gets that right. He's got the young man who goes off listening to the Declaration of Independence, and that's what he's going to be fighting for. Then you get the Mel Gibson character, who is in many ways a true backcountry character. He's fighting because of what the enemy has done to his family and his neighbors. That's an important part of of the story of the revolution in South Carolina. Because remember, at the very beginning, the backcountry wasn't too keen about the folks in Charleston who were talking about all these grievances of bad government and oppression, and they are saying, whoo, we don't have to go 3,000 miles. We just go 200 miles, and we got an oppressive government in Charleston. So anyway, John, I can't tell you how excited about 
the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution Parks, and it's in South, based in South Carolina. You are the head honcho of, of that. But before we have to leave, I want to tell you the last time, two times I visited Cowpens, it's been so exciting to see how you have restored the battlefield to what it was like. It had become a Victorian cemetery park with all these trees. And, th- and hey, it, it was the Cowpens. It was open terrain. Now that you've cleared it off, you begin to understand how Morgan was able to see what he did and actually how Tarleton couldn't see. You know, but with the trees all there before, it was impossible. Now, that was a conscious decision, and I know that upset some people that you cut down all these old trees, but that... Kind of ironic that the National Park Service is cutting down trees, isn't it? Well, it is ironic, but it's also putting the the battlefield back to where it's supposed to it be. It really does. It, it really does. And that, that's that's part of our responsibility, I believe. And, you know, and the reality is we just have such an incredible staff, dedicated staff um, to these sites, um, whether you're at Kings Mountain National Military Park where... Chief Ranger Chris Revels has been there for maybe since the battle was fought. <laughs> now come on. <laughs> or you go to or you go to Cowpens National Battlefield and you know you you get to speak or take a tour with Ranger Jenny Fowler who has been um, a part of the story there and telling the story since she was a YCC at 15 or 16 years old Youth Conservation Corps. Or you go down to 96 where we've now just implemented a an archaeological field school with USC. And we're drawing all these people to Greenwood County to celebrate that national park in Greenwood County. And it's just such an incredible, incredible gift to be a part of this. And and I really, truly see it as, as an opportunity to bring together all the experts and all the folks that can have some sort of influence on taking this story to the national stage. All those historians I talked about, all those great entities, Campaign 1776, yourself, um, and, and, the, and the many other sites, whether those are private, state, or public sites, um, to be able to to bring the totality of this story. It's just an exciting time. I, I'm truly blessed. Well, John Slaughter, it it is. I just can't thank you enough for what you're doing and what the Park Service has done. And like I said, I had a hobby horse to ride for the entire entire hour. The American Revolution in the South, it was important. It was where the war was won. And through the work that you and the Park Service are doing, we're getting the story out to a broader audience. Thank you so much for being with us today on The Journal. Thank you so much for having me. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. I know that I did. The American Revolution in the South, my favorite story, my hobby horse. And with John Slaughter, I got to ride that hobby horse for an hour. It's absolutely incredible, folks, what the National Park Service has done in cooperation with state parks, parks, recreation and tourism, with local sites, with private groups, to produce not just a nice story about King's Mountain, but to put the revolution in the South Carolina backcountry in greater context so that people can understand truly that this is where the American Revolution was one. 
And now the rest of the country and the rest of the world is finding out about it. And for that, my hat's off to the National Park Service. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.